Amen. Amen. You know, I got to tell you, I'm never more excited than when I'm in church. I I, I just love singing praises to God. I think I sang my voice out. I was struggling for the end of those last two songs. I sing so loud and off key. Um, But uh, I I love it. Man, and it's all true. And again, my hope is that all of us today are just overwhelmed by God, overwhelmed by who he is, and not overwhelmed by all the junk of life. And uh, I want to start off by reading a couple passages. Uh, uh, The first two uh, I've read several times, and they just remind us uh, of how important and the purpose behind uh, all the scriptures we find in the Old Testament. Well, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 11 through 12, uh, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And then Paul writes in Romans 15, 4, such things, the Old Testament, we're going to study today, were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us, and the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement. Could you use some hope and encouragement today? As we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And, and the next one is from Jesus' inaugural dress by the uh, Sea of Galilee in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus reminds God's people of who they are as God's people. Uh, you are the light of the world. A, a, a town, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Amen. And I'm gonna, we're going to pray and I want to let you know that some serious prayer happened today uh, for the service. We always pray every Sunday morning in that room at 8.15. And, and uh, for the very first time in that group, um, my nine-year-old daughter, May Lee, she prayed. Uh, she had a couple false starts sitting on the floor by me. She got ready and then started giggling, like, you yeah, know, okay, okay. And then she finally, out loud, just prayed that God would move in the service. And, and when she's done, she goes, I did it. You know, I did it. So proud of herself, you know. And I'll tell you what, when a, when a child prays for God to move, uh, get ready because God is, is so going to move. And, and so let's pray. Let's cry out to God with palms open, uh, symbolic that we're ready to receive from God today. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just humbly, God, come before you and we acknowledge your presence because your presence is always here. Uh, we acknowledge that we are, we are desperate people. Uh, we acknowledge that so many times that, that we're weak, but we know that you're strong. And God, we're so grateful for your love that chases us and your love that never fails. And, and God, I ask this morning that you would just use this story from the, from the Bible to, to teach us. And God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, help, help me to speak with, with boldness and clarity about you this morning. Uh, God, speak your your people are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, as we continue our journey through the story, well, we're in chapter 18, Daniel in exile. And, and if you're kind of new to the Grove, the story is a journey that we have been on since January the 13th. It's a, it, it, it's a journey from Genesis to Revelation. It, it's a study of God's Word. It's a, it, it's a study of God's story, the greatest and most compelling story of all time. And we're using this book called The Story as our guide. And all this is, it's uh, 31 chapters of selected Scripture placed in chronological order to kind of tell the story of the Bible in, in a novel form. And, and in this journey, uh, we have seen God create the heavens and the earth merely by speaking words. And we've seen God 
form man from the, from the dust of the ground and breathe into man the, the breath of life. And uh, we, we have seen man's fall and, and we've seen God's plan for forgiveness and redemption start to unfold as he begins to build a nation through an elderly couple named Abraham and, and, and Sarah. A, a nation whose descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and, and the sand on the shore. A, a nation who would worship the one true God and who would reflect God's person and his power and his purpose, purposes in this world in, in such a way that, that those who watch how they live, that those who saw their city on the hill, those who saw their light would want to do life with God as well. And, and, and during the last 17 weeks, we we have seen this nation go from welcome guests to slaves in Egypt, from captive to deliverance, from wandering in the desert to living in the promised land, from worshiping God in the tabernacle uh, to building the temple in Jerusalem. We've seen them go from being ruled by judges to the reign of the kings. We've seen them go from a united kingdom to a divided kingdom. We've seen them go from experiencing God's blessings to experiencing God's judgment uh, which, by the way, is not a pretty picture. And, and the reason that God had to judge his people is that they kept refusing to respond and repent to the many warnings the prophets had given them to turn back to God. And so God's anger could no longer be restrained, and his punishment was lashed out on them. But never forget, as we saw last week, that God punished them and allowed bad things to happen to them and us not to pay them back, but to what? But to, but to bring them back, to bring them back to him. And finally, we, we have seen this nation go from descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands and the shore to only a small remnant as both the northern and the southern kingdom were destroyed and taken into captivity, into exile. Yeah, as chapter 18 of the story opens up, it seems like Everything is not only going wrong for the nation, but that but everything is actually going away from the promise. It seems like everything is actually moving away from everything that God said would happen and all the things that God said he would do in and through the nation, away from all the things that they had hoped to experience as God's people. Have you ever been in a place like that where your life seems like everything seems to be moving away? Everything seems to be headed in the opposite, opposite direction of what you would hope would happen and experience as God's people. Daniel chapter 1, chapter 18, the story begins with these words. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And listen, not only did Nebuchadnezzar take some of the articles from the temple and King Jehoiakim, he also took thousands of people from Judah. He took the best and brightest people, the officers, the craftsmen, the artisans, the people of noble, noble birth, leaving, as we read in 2 Kings chapter 24, only the poorest in the land. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect and handsome, right? Uh, at least some of us out, right? Show an aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. 
He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And guys, this morning, we're going we're gonna to meet four guys. We're going to be four guys who at the age of 16 or 17 uh, were taken captives from their country and who became slaves in the Babylonian Empire. We're going to meet four guys who found themselves living in and surrounded by a very wicked, ungodly, and pagan culture. We're going to meet four guys who were forced to live in and under circumstances not of their own choosing. You ever been there? Uh, We're going to meet four guys who rather than being influenced and pulled down by the culture surrounding them, instead would rise above that culture to such a dramatic degree that two powerful kings would bend their knee to Daniel's God and praise him. A little later, we'll read some of the things these kings said about our God. I understand, if you've ever been forced to live in a place and under circumstances not of your own choosing, you know, Maybe it's a job you don't want to be in. Maybe it's a season of life that's particularly difficult. Uh, maybe it's a time of hardship and challenge. If you ever felt like you were, you were living in and surrounded by a wicked, godless, and pagan culture, one that keeps trying to pull you under, one that keeps trying to squeeze you into its mold, if you ever been in any kind of exile, and by the way, as a Jesus follower, We are by definition in exile at this very moment, right? Living in a strange and foreign land. I understand this world, we may like it, but this world is not our home, right? We're just passing through. But if you've ever been in exile, then I think you really want to hear what these four godly guys living in Babylon 2,600 years have to say. And here's how I want to attack chapter 18 of the story. And I got to tell you, this is full of so much good stuff. I mean, so much is in here. And I got to warn you up front that you're going to need to buckle up and hold on because it's going to be fast and it's going to be furious. It is so incredible what's in here. And the way I want to do this, first we're going to, first we're going to, we're going to look at their story as we see some snapshots in the first six chapters of this book. And then what we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to pull out five lessons. We're going to pull out five principles that these four guys teach us about how you and I need to live if we want to impact and influence our world even while in exile. Okay, snapshot number one. Staying true. Again, as chapter 1 opens up, Daniel, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, Mishael and Azariah, four young guys, probably 16 or 17, they find themselves living as slaves in a pagan and godless culture. I mean, try to imagine, try to imagine what, what these guys went through. Try to picture what they just endured. I mean, one day they are living large, all from royal families. They were talented. They were educated. They were popular. They were good-looking. 
They had nice homes, nice clothes. Since they didn't have cars back then, they had, they had nice camels. They, they, they had, they had a, a 16 camel garage, right? They, 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 and they had a very promising future ahead of them. I mean, they were enjoying their graduation party, celebrating with their family and their friends, waiting for the next phase of their lives to begin in just a few months, fully funded by, by mom and dad. Two of these guys were headed off to KDU, King David University, and, and the other two were heading off to MOT, Mount Olives Tech. It's not that bad. But then in a single moment, it all, every bit of it, disappeared forever. Understand, these four guys, they lost everything. They lost their homes. They lost their careers. They lost their families. They lost their stuff. They lost their dreams. They lost their plans. They lost their freedom. Even their Hebrew names were replaced with Babylonian names. Names associated with Babylonian gods to forever remind them that they and their God have been defeated by the Babylonians and their gods. You know, Hananiah's Hebrew name means the, the, the Lord is gracious. They changed it to Shadrach, which means command of a coup. Mishael means who is what God is. They changed that to Meshach, who is what a coup is. Azariah, the Lord has helped. They changed his name to Abednego, servant of Nebo. Daniel's name means God is my judge. They changed it to Belshazzar, which means may Balak protect. I mean, these are just four young guys, and, and, and they're just trying to hang on, trying to adapt to their new life and their new surroundings. And then one day, King Nebuchadnezzar calls in his chief of staff, and he tells them, okay, it's time to put the smartest and brightest of the Hebrew captives into a three-year intensive training and indoctrination program into Babylonian life and culture. Can you say brainwashing? New names, new culture, new teaching, and a new diet. All their food would come directly from the king's table. And understand, the goal of Nebuchadnezzar was to so assimilate these young men, so assimilate, so squeeze into uh, the Babylonian mold, these three men, that they would disassociate themselves with the Hebrew ways and the Hebrews' God, and in all intents and purposes become Babylonian. And, and these guys are like, okay, yeah, go ahead. You can, you can change my name. You call me what you want. You can, you can teach me a bunch of stuff I may not believe, but, but, but here's where I draw the line. Daniel refused to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He said, I'm not doing it. Now, why? I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure the king ate pretty good, right? It was probably pretty good food, but see, Daniel knew. He knew, you know what? This food is probably going to violate the law of Moses in regards to what food we can eat. This food was probably sacrificed, involved in the worship of an idol, of a false god. They said, there's no way. We're not going to do that. We will not eat food that is sacrificed to idols. You see, these guys didn't lose everything, did they? See, they still had their faith. Think about it. Think about what they went through. I mean, these guys, they don't live in a flannel. They didn't live in a flannel board, right? They weren't neatly tucked in the pages of our Bible we may or may not open. These are real people with real dreams, they lost everything, but they still had their faith. They still worship God. They still follow God. 
I mean, I love it. Despite they were not where they wanted to be, despite they were living in and under circumstances not of their choosing, they still put God first in their life. They didn't lay around grumbling, complaining. They said, God is still first in my life. You listen, their hands may have been bound and captive, but their faith was still strong and free. And Daniel goes to the chief of staff and he said, ask permission. Hey, do we have to eat this stuff? He goes, well, you know, yeah, you do, because if you don't and, and the king sees you not look as healthy as the other guys, he's going to take my head off. And Daniel goes, okay, well, how about a test? You know, for 10 days, we're just going to eat vegetables and drink water, and then you compare us to the rest of the guys, and we'll see what happens. 10 days later, these guys look better than everyone else. Chief of staff says, hey, you guys can eat what you want. And check out what we read in the very next verse. Check out, check out what happened. Check out, check out what God was able to do because these four young men drew a line about what they would and would not do. We read these words. To these four young men, God gave instantly, supernaturally, knowledge and understanding. I mean, they just got it, right? They got everything. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Never studied that. I get it. It makes sense. I understand this of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. You see, because these guys stayed true, God was given the opportunity to really move in their lives so that he could impact the world around them. Understand, there's one, of my fa- that, one of my favorite verses, and that one's a big number, is 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That verse says, you know what? God right now, 2,000 years ago in Babylon, and right now God, God's eyes are looking. He said, okay, is there somebody fully committed to me? Is there somebody all in? Is there somebody sold out that I can strengthen? He goes, I see four guys right now in Babylon. I, I see a guy named Daniel, I see Hananiah, I see Mishael, and I see Azariah, and God strengthening them because they drew that line. Then the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. King talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Snapshot number two of their story is our God is forever sovereign. Now, chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream that totally freaks him out. He, he has no idea what it means, so he summons in his, his wise men, and he says, okay, tell me what my dream was, and then interpret it. And they go, well, hey, why don't you tell us what the dream was, and then we'll interpret it. He goes, no, no, I know you guys just fake me out. You just lie. You, you, you just make something up. Now, I want you to tell me my dream, what I dreamed last night that kind of is freaking me out, and then interpret it. And they're like, there's no way. There's no way we can do this. We read in the Bible what the king asks is too difficult, they say to him. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This makes the king so angry and furious, furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king 
officer, what's going on? I mean, what, did the king eat something wrong? I mean, did, did, did she got to hang? Why, why is he so harsh? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And, and you know, there, there's something worth pointing out in verse 14. How did Daniel speak to the commander of the king's guard? Daniel spoke to him with what? Wisdom and tact. You know, in my opinion, and in my opinion, my opinions are 99.9% right. <laughs> it's my opinion. It may not be yours. Okay, in my opinion, one of the reasons why Christians living in exile in this world have lost so much influence is because of our lack of wisdom and tact when speaking to those in the world about our faith and beliefs. I mean, sometimes I am totally embarrassed and ashamed by our ignorance and stupidity, lack of wisdom, and our rudeness, lack of tact, when we express our beliefs about certain things. <clears throat> we can be so arrogant, we can be so hateful, so unloving, so cruel. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I've seen Facebook light up over some issue, you know, and, 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 and maybe it's same-sex marriage or something, and the hate that comes out from Christians is downright embarrassing. Yeah. Now, 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 the stand they may be taking may be right, but the way they're taking that stand does more harm than good. We don't lose our argument. We lose the world because of it. And Paul has some great advice on how we do with this. See, Daniel, we don't have to compromise what we believe. Paul says this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's a good lesson right there, right? Wisdom intact. Once Daniel finds out what's going on, he goes to the king and he says, King, I, I can do this for you, but I need some time. And he leaves the king, and the first thing he does, he goes back to his three buddies, tells them, man, guys, here's what's going on. We need to cry out to God right now or we're dead. And they did. They cried out to God, and that very night while Daniel is asleep, God reveals to him the dream. And so Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king says, okay, so can you, can, can you, can you tell me what my dream was and interpret it? And Daniel goes, no, I can't do it. I guarantee at those words, King Nebuchadnezzar's, both his eyebrows and his blood pressure shot up. <laughs> they said, no, I can't, but my God can. I can't do it, but my God can. As a matter of fact, he told me last night about your dream. In your dream, you stood before an enormous statue that was dazzling and awesome in appearance. And it, 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 had, it had a head of gold and a chest of silver and its belly and thighs were of bronze and its legs were of iron and its, its feet were, were, were made of iron and baked clay, which are not very stable. They don't mix together real good. And as you're admiring, thinking, wow, this statue is so awesome, suddenly, out of nowhere, you see this rock that's carved out of a mountain, not by human hands. This, this rock comes flying down, and this rock hits the statue, and it smashes the statue, and it keeps crushing it until all the gold, all the silver, all the bronze, all the iron are turned to dust, and the wind washes it away, blows it away. And then this small stone becomes a mountain, and this mountain fills the entire earth. He's like, that's it. That, that's what I dreamed. That, that's exactly it. Well, what does it mean? 
And he says, well, well, here's what it means, king. The head of gold represents you. It represents Babylon and your kingdom and your empire right now. But after you, a, 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 another kingdom will follow you. The chest of silver is, is the Medes and the Persians who will follow you. And, and after the, the Medes and the Persians, the bronze represents Greece who will follow them. And, and then comes the legs, which are iron, which, which, will, which will be Rome. So basically the statue, it represents human government and, and human kingdoms. And they're very unstable because they stand on feet made of, of clay and iron that don't mix. And, but he says, but one day, king, God is going to set up a kingdom. A kingdom that will overcome all kings and overcome all kingdoms. And nothing will be able to stop it. Nothing will be able to stand against it. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against this mighty rock that God will set up. In Maple Grove, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came. And through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he established that very kingdom. Understand, all authority in heaven and on earth now belongs to Jesus. His kingdom is established upon the rock that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And that, that kingdom started real small in Jerusalem, just a few people in Acts chapter 2, but it has continued to grow to become a mighty mountain. Paul says in Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And Hebrews 13 tells us that this kingdom, we're a part of this kingdom that God cut from a rock. This kingdom that smashes all other kingdoms is absolutely unshakable. In Revelation, we read these words, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Maybe, girl, let me ask you, does the fact that our God, that our God has established an unshakable, enduring forever kingdom that smashes all other kingdoms, does that excite you? Does that pump you up that our kingdom is here and our kingdom is unshakable. It's unshakable. Do you think it pumped Daniel up? Living in exile? Living in the very country that had destroyed his country? I know it did. I know it did. Check out what he prayed the night, right after God revealed the, the dream to him. He says, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has, he has what? He has all wisdom and power. Not, not Nebuchadnezzar, not Babylon, not Rome, not Greece. He has all power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. Daniel goes, yeah, you know what? I may be, I may be a captive. You may be king, but my, my God is the king of kings. His kingdom will last forever. God is in charge. His king is here. Snapshot number three. Before I get that, i got to tell you what Nebuchadnezzar said. Uh, after this dream's interpreted, what he says about Daniel's God and ours, the king said to Daniel, because he had seen their light, he'd seen their suit on the hill, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Shaps not, not, amen. <laughs> Snapshot number three. We will never bow. Well, apparently his mini revival 
you know, kind of weighed and he's kind of backsliding in chapter three and, you know, he's thinking, you know what, I'm really awesome. I'm really awesome. And why should just the head of a statue be gold? I mean, why not make the whole thing about me? Why not make the whole statue gold? And so he makes a gold statue 90 feet high, nine feet wide, and he sets it up in the plains of Dura. And the order was given, when the praise band starts to play, all hail King Nebuchadnezzar, everyone must bow and worship. If they don't bow and worship and participate, they'll be thrown into a blazing furnace. Talk about a good way to get people to participate. Imagine Sunday, hey, look, we want you all to sing, to clap, to sing loudly and joyfully, or you'll be thrown into a blazing furnace immediately. I think that would get everybody's attention, right? And so the band plays, and all the people bow and worship except three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're brought to the king. He says, is this true? Is this true that you're, you're not going to serve our gods? You're, you're not going to bow to the image that I made up? I'll tell you what, guys, I'm going to play that song again because I, re- I really like that song. It's about me and it's really good. I'm going to play it one more time and, and you have another chance to bow. But if you don't bow then, I'm going to throw you into the furnace and there is no God anywhere as mighty as me that can rescue you. And again, try to put yourself in these three guys' sandals. Again, they didn't exist on a flannel board or in a nice cute little book, right? These are real people. To be thrown into fire and burned to death, I don't think that would be pleasant. What would you do? I mean, if that happened right now, what would you do? What would I do? What would I say? Guys, this really happened. Will we bow or would we die? Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand with all due respect. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we'll not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Needless to say, this guy, it ticked him off so much that he had, he had the furnace cranked up even higher. He has... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he has their hands bound. He throws them in the furnace. It's so hot that the guys who opened the door, standing outside the furnace, caught on fire and burned up in front of everybody. And then the king is like, wait, wait a second. Hey, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? Then how come I see four people walking around unbounded and unharmed? And and that fourth guy kind of looks like the sons of God. And I really believe that that was a a pre-incarnate visit from Jesus. And the, these three guys, they come out, they're not burned, they're totally unharmed, their clothes don't even smell like smoke. See, the king saw their faith, he saw their God, he saw their light, he saw their sitting on the hill, and then we read this, King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world, peace and prosperity to you. I, I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom, not mine, his kingdom will last forever. His rule, not mine, through all generations. Their influence impacted and brought a king to his knees. Stats number four, I I call this one the lion sleeps tonight. (laughs) And and this takes place in chapter six. It's about, it's over 60 years since Daniel as a 17 or 18-year-old guy arrived in Babylon. Daniel's in his mid-80s. And Babylon has fallen. 
Uh, the golden head is no more, and the, the Medes and Persians, the silver chests are the new kingdom on the block. And Daniel, as always, because of the way he lived, because of the things he did, he, he, he rose all the way to the top and, and, and to the effect that, he, that King Darius was about to make him in charge of the entire kingdom. And obviously, this did not sit well with Daniel's political opponents. They said, okay, we, we got to dig up some dirt on this guy. And so they, uh, uh, they started checking his phone records and they started searching his emails and talking to his old friends and trying to, hey, we got to find some dirt on this guy. Don't you just love politics? And we read, but, that, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless... It has something to do with the law of his God. So they start watching Daniel. They find out, you know what? This guy, Daniel, this 80-year-old guy, every day, three times a day, he gets on his knees and prays before an open window to his God facing Jerusalem. And what they do, they, they, they trick King Darius and, uh, to, to, to make up a, an executive order that says, for the next 30 days, anybody that prays to or worship, anybody but you, has to be thrown into a den of lions. Uh, well, Daniel, again, he's 80 years old. And the image I have of Daniel, you know, one of our elders is going to turn 80 soon. You know, and I picture John Fisk. That's John praying this morning. You know, you know that, and Daniel goes, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but you know what? I've always prayed to my God. I'm always going to pray to my God. No one's going to stop me from praying to my God. So he does what he always does. He gets down and he prays before an open window, knowing he's being seen to his God, thanking his God. Kind of reminds me of a, a guy named Polycarp, a disciple of the Apostle John. When the Roman soldiers came to arrest him, they say, look, man, you're a nice old guy. Just say you deny Christ and we'll let you live. And here's what he said. Eighty and six years I have served him. And never did he, never, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And they let him out to his yard, took him to a stake to burn him. He said, don't even bother tying my hands. My God will help me get through this. Again, Daniel did what he always did. His political opponents quickly seized the moments. They called a big press conference, got all the media in, and they forced the king to do what he didn't want to do because he liked Daniel. As what Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, then the final words Darius spoke were these, may the God whom you serve continually... And he had watched Daniel live his life. May the God whom you serve continually, Daniel, I saw how much you loved him. I saw how you served him. May he rescue you. And that night the king goes home. He, he couldn't sleep. He didn't eat. He's worried. He's praying. As soon as the sun rises, he, he wakes up and he, he, he runs to the den of lions and he, and he cries out, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue from the lions? Yep, sure did. King pulls him out. He says, hey, why don't we throw those other guys into the pit? And Scripture says, I love it, it says that before they hit the bottom, the lions overpowered them and crushed every one of their burn, bones. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I like that. And then we see their influence again, a pagan king. The king Darius sent this message to all the people of every nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I, I decree 
that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow, what a story. Now the lessons, and they're going to come quick. But five lessons. Five lessons that if we live out, if we live these out, we can influence our world while in exile. Maybe you're in a job you don't like, a season of life you don't like, a situation you don't like, a world we'd rather not be in. But we can rise above that and be used by God. And these guys can tell us how. I mean, if they were here today, you know, if you just imagine up here and we're saying, hey, hey guys, how did you do it? I appreciate you being here today. Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, Azariah. How, how did you do that? How, how were you able to, to like, not be pulled down by that ungodly culture? Because our, ours is pretty messed up too. And even though you were somewhere you didn't want to be, how did you overcome it? Did, and they would go like, hey, well, you know, did you know our story? He goes, yeah, well, good, good. He goes, here's what you need to do. Number one, he says, you need to, they would say, you need core convictions. See, these guys had core convictions. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. See, core convictions are about, are about drawing a line ahead of time, about, about what we will do and what we will not do because we are a follower of Jesus Christ. And listen, the decisions that these guys made when they were young impacted their destiny when they were old. And again, a core conviction, it's a line that we draw ahead of time to say, you know what, I'm a Christ follower. I'm not crossing that line. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm not eating food sacrificed to idols. Question, do you have any core convictions as a Jesus follower? I mean, are, are there any lines that, that, that you have drawn to say, you know, I'm not going over that line. I'm, 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 not, I'm not crossing that line. I, I, I don't care if everyone else is padding their expense account. I'm not going to pad my expense account. You know what? I, I've drawn a line and said, you know what? Until I'm married to my husband or my wife, I will maintain my sexual purity. I, I, I've drawn that line. I've drawn a line. I will not abuse drugs and alcohol. I, I draw that line. You know what? I, I draw a line. I, I, I will not engage in gossip and slander and tearing down other people because I'm a Christ follower. I, I've, I've drawn a line. I, I've drawn a line. I will not hide my faith no matter who I'm with because I, I've drawn a line. That's good. I, anything else? I mean, you guys drew that line. It got kind of tough. Is there anything else that, that helped you? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, they said that they're also, they, they really are here. No, not really. Okay, they said radical dependence. Radical dependence. If they were here, they'd say, you know what? When, when, when our lives were threatened with death because we couldn't interpret the dreams, when we faced the, the fiery furnace, when, when we faced the den of lions, you know what we did? We got on our knees and we cried out to God. These guys were radically dependent on God. They didn't try to do life without God. And understand, radical dependence on God is not a sign of weakness. It's a pathway to strength. It's a pathway to strength. You see, when you and I, when I'm radically dependent on God, you know what it means? It means I pray about everything. And prayer unleashes God's power. Prayer does things, makes things happen. 
It unleashes God's power and unleashes God's protection. Prayer enables God to move in my life and in your life the way that God wants to move. Okay, so anything else? Good one. That's really good. They had a band of brothers. If they were here, they'd say, you know, they know what Daniel would say? You know what, if it wasn't for my guys, if it wasn't for my three friends, I wouldn't have made it through that lion's den. If we didn't have each other to lift us up, to pray for us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to be there for us, we never would have made it through this. Man, I'm totally convinced that, that if they did not have each other, the story would have been different. If they were by themselves, the story would have been different. Ecclesiastes says that you know, a cord of three strings, three strands is not easily broken. They said, we're going for four. You know, if three strands are good, we're going to have four strands on ours. and It's not easily be broken, and it wasn't broken. We can't do this alone. We live in a culture, right, of independence, right? Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We are, we are a, a self-made people, and look what, look what it results in, right? I mean, if you're trying to do life by yourself, I mean, is it, how's it working? If it's working for you now, it probably won't down the road. You see, like these four guys, we need to have a band of brothers. We need to have people who know us and love us and care about us and who walk through us, walk with us. In a book I'm reading called Multiply, we read this. If you are not connected with other Christians, serving and being served, challenging and being challenged, then you are not living as he desires. And the church is not functioning as he intended we're not meant to come in here and walk out and, and not interact, n- not have other believers helping us. And that, that's one of the reasons that, that we do life groups at Maple Grove. It's not to be cool and trendy so we can have a t-shirt or something. You know, we do it because it matters and, and it makes a difference. And recently, a, a member at Maple Grove went through a very difficult time, a time of exile, if you will. But fortunately, she was not alone. You know, it's Mercy Jenkins. And, and, and Mercy, she's got the spiritual gift of hugs, right? And, and on April 6, 2013, she fell on the stairs and was taken to the ER bleeding, and she broke both of her wrists, and she broke her nose. Bruises everywhere. All of a sudden, she couldn't take care of herself. She couldn't even feed herself. She couldn't do basic hygiene. She, couldn't, she could barely walk. She couldn't open doors. And she, she wrote this in a, uh, in a note to me. Suddenly, I felt so all alone, like no one was there. I was horrified. So I wrote to one of the ladies that, were, that are close to me, hoping that she would tell it to the church, and she did. Brothers and sisters, she writes, this has been the hardest time in my life ever. But the people in my life group, the people in my Sunday school, and the church came together to take this weight off of my shoulders. Amen. That's what it's about. You know, it's gone for two months, and for two months, people... For two months, Mercy's band of brothers and sisters have made sure she got food, took care of hygiene needs, got to her doctor's appointments, and had people there with her the entire time. Okay, guys, we're really almost out of time, but I know you got two more things to say. So what are they? Okay. I can really almost see them, actually. I'm really, I'm really getting worried. I'm really getting worried. Okay. Personal integrity good one they could find no corruption in him 
Where's the dirt? Because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. See, personal integrity is such a key to God wanting to use us. Sometimes God wants to use us. You're like, yeah, I don't really want to use you and bless you and kind of have my stamp of approval on you because you don't have integrity. And you're going to make me look bad. You're going to make my message look like it's not real. See, integrity is who we are when nobody is looking. It's a lifestyle decision where we live by our choices, not by our circumstances. See, see, God was able to use Daniel in a powerful way because he had integrity. He was honest. He was trustworthy. If Daniel said something to you, you weren't like, well, can I believe it? You think it's true? Did it really happen? If Daniel said he would do something, we're like, well, I don't know if he's going to do it. He never shows up. He never follows through. With Daniel, what you saw was what you got, and what you saw was an honest and trustworthy guy. He had character. You see, talent is... Talent is a gift, but character is a choice, right? And he chose character. And, and, and you know, I think these guys really say, look, I, I know you guys, you're in exile. You're, you're in a world that is so against you, in a world that's trying to pull you under. You know, and, and, and if we saw these things as a checklist, I, I mean, I, I think everybody here, you know, want to impact the world for God, right? If we're in a place we don't want to be, circumstances we want to be in, we want God still to use us. And so you got to see this as a checklist, you know, look at the box, you know, core conviction. Can you check that off? Yeah, I got them. I have some lines drawn. Maybe I'll draw a few more. Good. You're on your way. And then look, we look at the next one, right? You know, do you have radical dependence and radically dependent on God? There's no way I can do this without you, God. I'm on my knees praying to you, trusting you, crying out to you. Check it off. You're radically dependent on God. You know, band of brothers are the people who know you and walk with you, can encourage you and challenge you. You can check that off. You know, and, and then personal integrity. Yeah, is your yes, yes, and your no, no. You know, you, know you, you may have a job you don't like with an ungodly boss, but if he has integrity, he's going to notice, right? He's going to notice. Like, wow, this guy has integrity. I'm an idiot to him. I, I, I mock his faith. I give him the worst shifts ever, but he does his job and he has integrity. There's something different about this guy. There was something different about Daniel. And see, those things lead to, you know, unwavering faith. Yeah, the guys, that's obvious. <laughs> yeah, but unwavering faith in and, and, and the, and the face of lions and death, in the face of a blazing furnace, these guys had a faith that was unwavering. Not going to bow and not going to stop bowing to my God. Just yesterday, I, I read this, this verse in Isaiah chapter 7 that really speaks well. See, because I really believe, because it's true, that you know, God's eyes are moving throughout the earth. He says, man... I, I, I want to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to me. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. God's like, man, I, I, I want to help you stand firm. Now, I know times are difficult and hard and challenging. I want to make you stand firm. But unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you. See, we can't stand firm on our own. It's too big, right? It's too overwhelming. But with God, God can make us stand firm no matter what we're facing. A blazing furnace, a den of lions. He will make us stand firm when our faith is firm. You know, if these guys were in the room right now, they'd really get into the song we're singing with everything. Because these guys gave everything and they lived for God's glory. And God's glory just spread across the world. 
And I'm going to pray. And if you're here today and you need some prayer, our elders every week are off to the sides and they're here after service to pray with you. You want to talk about your walk with God, you come forward. But just stand and we're going to pray. Please stand. Heavenly Father, God, we humbly come into your presence and God, we need you. God, we live in a world that's I live in a world, God, it's trying to pull me under. It's trying to influence me. It's, it's trying to change my name in a way to Babylonian name, make me live like them, God. And sometimes I'm in a place I don't want to be, a situation I'd rather not be in, God. And God, I thank you for Daniel, for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He showed us how we can do it, God. And I just pray you'll move, God, so that everyone in this room, we, we know that we can do this. God, help us to be people of core convictions, personal integrity, with a, band, with a band of brothers who are radically dependent on you and a people of unwavering faith so that we can give you everything because you gave us everything. In Jesus' name, amen.